Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in the last third of every portion, so we're in the last part of the Parsha Toldot, Generations. We've been talking a lot, we've been reading this year through the lens of Mesopotamian women as we come to their stories from Sarai uh, through now to Rebecca and her children. And what we've talked a lot about is that in Mesopotamia, women would have had a certain role within the clan uh, and within the religious cult and that uh, women who had certain levels of status in that religion would have needed an heir. And they chose their heir, and it's, it's often, that's the drama, right? So that's the drama of their lives, is who will be their heir, and it is certainly our drama. We've been looking at that all the way through, that Sarai had two sons, right? And that traditionally in Mesopotamia, it would have passed through the women to a daughter. So if it can't be through the daughter, then, it's, then you find a wife for your heir from your uterine brother, right? All right. What? Why can't you just say brother? Because it's because you it's the mother's yes yes it's about mother right yes yeah. so we um so we've so we've seen that story unfold we've seen Sarai she chose from among her two possible male heirs right and then acquires a wife for Isaac from her clan, right? And that is Rivka. So now Rivka has one pregnancy also, right? So this is a theme, right? If fertility is the issue for women, what is the issue for men again? Yes, delivery from war, War. victory in war, or not having to go to war, right? That's what men pray for. That's what their dramas are about. For women, right, it's about uh, progeny, right? It's about fertility. And all of our mothers, all of our foremothers have one pregnancy until we get to Rachel and Leah, yeah? And what, what happens during Rachel's second pregnancy? She dies as a result of her second pregnancy. So she only experienced one successful birth for her. For her. Benjamin lives, her second child, but she does not. So R- Rivka also has one pregnancy, but she has twins, right? And they are battling inside of her is the language that's being used. We don't know what that means. We know that at one point she goes to an oracle, Right? Remember Sarai goes to an oracle? So Rivka and Sarai both feel they have direct access to the divine. Right? They don't have to go through anybody. Both Sarai and Rivka go directly to God through some means. We're not told exactly what. But Rivka gets an, goes to the oracle, and, and at some point she expresses herself saying, if this is what's going to be, like, wh- Why? So whatever's going on inside of her body must be so bad, right, that she, can't, she feels like she can't possibly tolerate it. And if she has to, w- w- what's the point? Like, it's so bad. Um, so possibly a lot of pain. You know, we, we don't know. Um, but, but the tradition talks about it that Esav and Yaakov are 
are struggling with each other already in the womb. And traditionally, Esau and Yaakov become uh, symbols of the Jewish people and Rome, right? The, those at, with whom the Jews will be at war. And of course, we know what happens <laughs> when the Jews <laughs> rebelled against Rome, right? Yeah. All right. So that's, so that's kind of, that's part of the drama we're dealing with. So she has two sons. So now Rebecca, just like the women we've been talking about all of these weeks, has to choose an heir. Who's going to be her heir? They're twins. It's not, it's not really going to go by age. You could say this one came out first, um, but, but it's really about who, who is she going to pick. From the beginning, she is closer to Yaakov, and Isaac is closer to Esau. Esau is the hunter. He's out in the field all day. Uh, his father likes when he hunts and prepares the meat a certain way for him. And Yaakov is your kind of nebisha yeshiva bucher. Right? He, he, he hangs around the tent. He's, you know, helping mom with stuff a lot. Right? So, um, so that's, so she prefers Yitzchak and uh, Yitzchak uh, Yaakov and Yitzchak prefers Esau. That's and now we have the the place where the second time we're going to get struggling about status in terms of being an heir. All right, you'll recall that Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. Esau comes in hungry from hunting. Yaakov says, "Fine, you know, and give me some of that stew you're cooking." Yaakov says, "Fine, give me the birthright," and he does. So that's number one. Now we're coming right. We're coming to the end of the story. We're not going to go through the whole story. Um, we did that last year, and we talked about does Isaac know? Does he not know? Is he really blind? Is he not really blind? Does he have an idea? Does he not have an idea? Okay, we're not going to go there. But it will affect your reading of this part of the story, whether or not you think Isaac is in on making Jacob the heir. Right? It totally changes how we read this part of the story, but frankly, this part of the story usually convinces me that Isaac does not know, that he's not in on it, sadly. All right. Um, anything else we need to do here before we start? We good? Good. Ready? All right. What's just happened? When I say we're not going to do that part, we did it last year. What happened here with this, uh, with the blessing? The blessing is for the heir. Right? Remember, the father has to acknowledge so offspring. And, the father. and so he, tr- he fools his father. He dresses as Asaph, puts on Asaph's tuxedo for the ceremony, and right, his mother prepares the meat that Asaph usually prepares for his father. Asaph is still out hunting, and uh, Yaakov takes Isaac's blessing after a very interesting exchange. And we're going to start at 2728, where Jacob is giving his son the blessing that acknowledges him as the heir. All right. Ostensibly to Esau. Correct. That's why I didn't say which one. Oh. See, my son's scent is like the scent of a field. Blessed by yud Where are you? Oh, okay. 27, you're 2727? Okay. Yeah. 27, I'm sorry. Okay. No God give you of heaven's dew, of earth's bounty, abundant grain and new wine. Let people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be a ruler to your brother. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. 
May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. Just as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, at the very moment that Jacob was in the act of leaving his father Isaac's presence, his brother Esau came in. He too made tasty dishes that he brought to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father get ready to eat of his son's game so that you can give me your heartfelt blessing. But his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he replied, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac now began to shudder, a a shuddering exceedingly great. And he said, Who then hunted game and brought it to me and I ate of it all before you came? I blessed him and blessed will he remain. When Esau heard his father's words, he broke into an exceedingly loud and bitter howl and said unto his father, Bless me too, father. But but he said, Your brother came with deceit and took away your blessing. He replied, Is he not named Jacob? Twice now he has cheated me. He took my birthright, and now look, he has taken my blessing. And he added, Did you not reserve a blessing for me? Isaac responded by saying to Esau, Look, I have appointed him your master, and given him all, and given all his kin to be his servants, and have supported him with grain and new wine. Come now, what am I to do, my son? Do you have but one blessing, father? said Esau to his father. Bless me, me too, father. And Esau cried out and wept. His father Isaac then responded and said to him, Lo, among the far places of the earth shall your dwelling be. And with heaven's dew from above, by your sword shall you live. Your brother shall you serve. But when you move away, you shall break his yoke off your neck. Esau now saw a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had conferred upon him. And Esau formed the resolve, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, when I will kill my brother Jacob. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, let's stop there. Right? Okay, so... I, I know. I know. This is fun. Carol says this is fun. Okay, this is family. Yeah, is what this is. <laughs> this is family, right? This is. Uh, I mean, I just. I. Ugh, poor Asaph. We'll get there, but ugh, poor Asaph. This is like telling a kid. Oh, by the way, you're not the favorite. Oh, why do we call it? Don't it, forget that. Well, he's he's not saying that to Asaph, right? Okay, here we go. Uh, he's saying that he said said to Asaph, "You are the favorite." Right. Okay. All right. So he he comes to the place where so clearly clearly Asab understands this as a deathbed pronouncement by his father, right? Because he said the day the days for mourning for my father are coming, and when we're done mourning my father, I'm going to kill my brother, right? So it it's it's like a deathbed scene. Isaac goes on to live, but it feels like a deathbed moment. He's going to acknowledge him as his heir officially at a, at a grand you know, moment, ceremony, meal. It has to be a meal. Right? If you're going to do something important like this, there has to be a ritual meal. Uh, and so he, he gives his son, the, this is the moment. He's going to make him the patriarch. 
after him by saying, may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fat of the earth. Dew, critical to life in particularly, right, the Negev region, especially on the west. So when ocean water, Mediterranean water blows in, if there's enough moisture, then at night with cooling temperatures, the dew, the, the air saturated with water, which falls to the vegetation. Right and, and, and adds water. Um, there's a certain kind that's, that doesn't. It takes water from the ground you know, and that, that evaporates, and then it, it doesn't add any water. But, but dew does add water to the system. So, and is necessary, right? So really, dew is about abundance of all kinds. You, you can't have life. You can't have extra anything without dew in this region. Uh, and he's going to have an abundance of new grain and wine, right? All of the symbols that someone is doing well, very well. You have surplus. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers and let your mother's sons bow to you. Cursed be they who curse you and blessed they who bless you. We get a resonance here of Abraham's bracha from God. Yeah, where you know, all of the nations of the world shall be blessed through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Here it's a little different, but those who bless you will be participants in blessing, and those who curse you, the opposite will happen. I've been studying Torah a very long time. I went to Jewish day school. I went to Yeshiva high school for three years, and I've been a rabbi for a million now, 22 years. I, it never has ever occurred to me until last night reading this that there's another parallel here. I never saw it before. And I've never read anything about it. But let your you'll be master over your brothers and your mother's sons will bow down to you. It's the first time I ever saw the parallel to Joseph. 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 They both get Right, the 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 here it's a blessing. There it's a vision that he has. Right, that they will have their brothers bow down to them, but it's gonna suck for a really, really, really long time till that happens. And that's like I was like, whoa! It jumped off the page last night. But both of them get this blessing, and they get it young. They both get it very young, but then it's going to take them decades and decades and decades to come into that blessing. And I, I don't know, if I were Joseph, I might have traded it all not to have that blessing. I mean, right? Like, his life is, is torture, right? For, That's how Prince Charles feels. <laughs> right? How old were they at this point? Um, that I don't know, but they're, they're not married. They're unmarried still, so... Presumably, I mean, we talking teenagers, twenties, somewhere in there. So they're they're in their formative years still, right? They're not fully adult participants, really, um, in the clan. So this is the blessing that that Yaakov as Esav receives. Yeah. So Yaakov leaves on the air, mm-hmm. right? And just at that moment, Aesop comes in from the hunt. He'd been in the kitchen preparing, right, the dish for his father. And he said, let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may give me your innermost blessing, which is a 
odd translation, but Tivarcheni Nafshecha, give me the, the blessing of yourself. His father Isaac said to him, What does he ask? Miata, who are you? And he said, Ani Bincha, I'm your son, Bechorcha, your firstborn, Esav. And Isaac, now what happens for him? He trembles a very, very huge, big trembling, right? So, I mean, I think mini stroke, right? You know, think, I mean, he's like, if we, unless you want to read that Isaac's in on it, which I know we've talked about, um, but if you, if we don't read it that way, this, this is pretty, he's, He's devastated. He's he's got to be what? He realizes he's <coughs> He's got to be pretty angry. Yeah. He's got to be betrayed. Be, he's been betrayed. He's got to be pretty sad that that his son would do that to him, that his own son would do that to him. He's got to feel horrible on behalf of Esav, who he loves mm-hmm. more than anything and was excited to give you know the the baton to and there's a sense he can't fix it and he cannot once the, world, he, once the words get out he can't c- take them back so let's go there so he says um, he, so he's trembling and he says who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me mm-hmm. right and I ate it before you came and I blessed him gam baruchi and I blessed him gam baruchi and so blessed he will be. There's absolutely no way to undo having altered the universe to have it respond to Yaakov and his life with blessing. There's no way to undo that. He's tripped, you know, he's set up all the all right, alarms. And once you, now it's set up. If you trip that, right, here comes the blessing. And it, it's set up. He can't undo it. Once you speak those words, Reality has been altered. When Aesop heard those words, right? So now Aesop is getting it that somebody was here before me and and gave him the the game, which it isn't because she slaughtered a kid, right? It, it, but the game and gave him the meal. You, this is the moment Aesop has to understand who that was. He has to know. Right? Who else would dare, right, to do that? So let's look at the Hebrew here. Uh, for those of you who who read Hebrew, verse thirty-four: Kishma Esav et divrei Aviv. When when he heard the words of his father, Vayitzak Tsaaka Gedola. You cannot miss in Hebrew, even if you don't speak Hebrew. Vayitzak Tsaaka Gedola. This is Esav. What happens when he hears what his father says? Yitzhak tzaka gedola. You cannot miss it. That sounds like Yitzhak. <laughs> right? Um, Yitzhak, he cried out. Tzaka gedola. A great cry. All right, people tell me. Where, where's the great cry? Tzaka. Lisa, you said it last time. Okay. Where do we have a Tzaka. Well, we have Gedola when we do the Shofar. We have Hagar, right? And we have the people Israel. Yes. 
In Egypt, what is it that moves God to come down after 400 years of slavery? They cry out. Sa'aka gedola. What does gedola mean? Big. So the sa'aka is what moves things, right, in a different way. Everything okay? Um, so the tzaka, this cry, this huge cry, umara and bitter, admaod, incredibly bitter. So he's essentially howling. Okay. After class, um, we are housing Toros from Malibu. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm glad that we I'm glad that we could help. So Rabbi Schwartz at the Malibu Synagogue has dropped off Sifre Torah here so that they will be safe. Um, and of course, we've we've told Malibu Synagogue that if they need any kind of shelter, that KI is open for them and anyone who needs it. So we'll just stay stay soft with our knees bent, ready to <laughs> lean in whatever direction we need to lean and to be there for each other. All right, so he bursts into this huge cry, and he says, Bless me too, Dad. But he answered, Your brother, right, came b'mirma, sneaky, b'chatecha, and he took your blessing. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yes? So... Yitzchak had already, I mean, uh, the two boys had already had a deal about the birthright, so doesn't that imply that he would get the blessing? Why is Esau so surprised? There, there are two different things. There, different? Yes, they are different. They are different. He's, he's receiving the blessing at the deathbed from his father that would make him patriarch, which is a little bit different from the birthright. It's a little different. That's about birth order and some other rights that come with that about inheritance, right? More property, you know, but it, it's, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It is different. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the response is, oh, it's Jacob's fault immediately. But you got to think that Isaac wasn't thinking very straight or... He did think straight, and he understood Rebecca had something to do with this because this this guy could not have pulled this meal off. Yaakov. Yes. So you think at this moment Isaac realizes well, I, there's been some help. I, he, either he did because, and he chose to keep his mouth shut, or he didn't. And it's extra sad. I don't. Wasn't Isaac lying though? I mean, well, yeah. Yes, but we but so when we read it last year, there's a lot of you know the voice, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Yaakov, right? You know, so there's all this kind of back and forth. Here, right now, he no, he's, he doesn't say. No. What is he biting his tongue about? What is he not saying? Oh, he he, he blames a hundred percent. He doesn't say anything about Rebecca had anything to do with this. Right. Maybe. Esau, you mean, or Isaac? Which one? Both? Isaac. Okay. He blames it immediately on Jacob. Period. Doesn't want to think about or know or deal with the fact that his wife would have had to be or in on it. Just, or he's even quicker of mind and he says, well, 
She must have had a really good reason to come. Which is where the rabbis go. Yeah. Because she had an oracle. Right. Of course she had a good reason. God told her it was going to be Yaakov. All those are possible. And yes, my own sense is he had it figured out. He's not as... Um, dumb, dumb blind is so if so, I can imagine Yitzchak uh, being real, really sad to know or think that his wife was right. in on tricking oh, him. Yes. But imagine Esav. Yeah. Imagine Esav. Esav's not an if Esav is not an idiot, then he also knows Yaakov must have had help, and that help must have come from his own mother. Is the issue that um, uh, Jacob obtained something, obtained something very valuable <coughs> by subterfuge? Yes. And as we have talked about, these total portions get worked over whenever so you have to it had the rabbis good graces uh, back then. So the question is, uh, what kind of ethical uh, message does this leave us? Like, it's okay to steal the birthright from your brother. Uh, this is, this is, a, this is a terribly problematic uh, uh, question. Man, I, I always... <coughs> took that to be why Sinai was necessary. That part of what you have is you have all of this, to some extent, chaos and all these other things going, and then it is at a later point where how we should deal with each other gets laid out. God sanctioned both of these things. Excuse me? God sanctioned both of these acts. Maybe God changed his mind. I guess. I guess what I'm seeing is I see. I see. Uh, if you go between here, go between here and the end of Deuteronomy, you have a tremendous growth, and then you go into Talmud, a tremendous growth in a sense of what is right and what is wrong, and and, and, and all the subtlety of it. But I think it's part of a, it's part of a continuum. Jonah. The word subterfuge is a big one. I also think about the concept of scarcity and the level of the divine and then the mundane. In the mundane realm, there is scarcity. We face scarcity every day. But scarcity is almost like a false belief at the level of the divine. So I almost wonder, um, was this God's way of entering the situation through Rebecca to invite the recognition that this battle is a month that the humans are going, it's, it's actually not a real battle. You guys are brothers, you're just going to play different roles in whatever this life thing is, and it's not going to be the ones that you thought you were going to play, and you're still going to be in a larger dynamic with each other. So kind of like, is it really subterfuge? Okay. So, reality is reality, and we have our perceptions of it, and but yet it, right, but yet it, that's our perception, right? It's just our perception. Um, so that we, the rabbis do Condone what Yaakov does because they they read this as Rivka gets an order from God, and Yitzchak doesn't get it. Yitzchak's going to get in the way of what needs to happen. Therefore, 
sometimes to make what happened happen what needs to happen one has to go around the powers that be the same way Sarai does right she listens at the tent door right she, there's there's times you have to use whatever power you have and it's not going to be direct uh, and and in this case, the ends justify the means, right? We, we can argue all the day long with whether or not this is a good way to go about things. What do we always talk about, especially with Genesis? The writers, the authors of these stories are talking about the world as it is. It's not till Sinai that we're talking about the world as it should be. The covenant is about moving the world from where it is closer to where it should be. That's the point of the covenant. Genesis is talking about the world as it actually is. And we're going to look at Peter Pitzela uh, in a few minutes, um, who talks a lot about, right, th- this is how it is. This is family dynamics. This is brothers. This is favoritism. This is, there's not enough love. There's not enough attention for everybody, for both of us. Right, that thinking drives right so many of the behaviors that then has that reality confirmed for us. Because when we act out of tightness and fear and anxiety and there's scarcity and there's not enough, we create that often that reality because we start to grab or we start to push or, or right and 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 the, but that's not very lovable. I know that I don't feel terribly lovable when I'm angry and fearful and anxious and upset and stuck in scarcity and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We just came off a two-day board retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about finances, like talking, right? You know, declining affiliation, declining amounts of giving by each person, declining whatever, and costs are going up. It is very easy to go, (laughs) right? Okay, what does that usually get us? It, it certainly doesn't usually tend to lead towards something that's going to create abundance. We'll give you a blessing. Thank you, Judah. <laughs> I prefer a check. No, just kidding. <laughs> David. Maybe the, the plain reading of this is that um, Isaac was defrauded. I mean, we're, we're yeah. sort of dancing around this and building these other themes that Rebecca was in on it, and maybe Isaac really knew this. Can you not retract a blessing if it was received by yeah. fraud? If it was received no. by fraud, no, no, no. even in a Mesopotamian society, mm-hmm. no. it would ruin It's done. <clears throat> it's done. Which, which is what makes this tragic, right? That's what makes this tragic, is it's the blessing is given, it is now active in the world and activated, and there's nothing Yitzchak can do. So there's no justice. There's no issue of justice. There is no justice. There is no Unless... You want to say, but God told Rivka that it was going to be Yaakov. Justice has been done. Yitzchak was going to give it to the wrong son. And so justice has been done. The son who's supposed to get the bracha gets the bracha. That's one way to read this. I think that's the correct way. Tell me more. What does that mean? Tell me. Because, you know, it's really, I, I thought from the beginning you were saying that women really have, could choose who has the birthright. Yeah. If they're twins. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, so why did Isaac have the right to do what? We talked about them being, they had separate roles, right? That she would have made someone her heir in terms of her status and role within the religious right, world and her property. The father got to choose who to whom he leaves his property. Oh. So she, she's picked her heir, which is Yaakov. So Yaakov got the money. He got her. He would have gotten her 
estate. Yes. Yes, he got the wealth. He, he would have. But but Asaph would have inherited from Isaac. And then but she sets it up so that it that doesn't happen. He gets the blessing and, and all that from his father, which he would not have gotten. Only his mothers. This is House of Cards. <laughs> right? This is life. This is this is the world. I hope so. Leave my memory. Good. Where the Yeah. Yeah, they in rabbinic Hebrew it gets developed differently. Right? So here here it means like by guile. Right? What is the context of that? Where is that word? Uh, that he con- that yeah, that Yaakov came Bemirma in guile. Right? Like with the intent to hold something secret. Mm-hmm. Meaning his identity, right? He he's pretending. Um, to be something he's not. All right, I want to I move on just because there's some great stuff. All right, so he says, Asaph says, yeah, yeah, his name's Yaakov. I know who did this. Yeah, his name is Yaakov. Va-ya'akveni zipamaim. He's, yeah, he's named Yaakov because Yaakveni, he has supplanted me twice. He's aptly named, <laughs> right? So usually Akev we think of as the ankle, Right, and he's named Yaakov because he's holding on to Esav's ankle when he's born. Um, but the other meaning of Akev, the Ayin Kuf Vet, is to supplant, to usurp. So you have, he's the supplanter. He has usurped me twice. He is aptly, aptly named Yaakov. And so, ha, what has he done? Yaakveni zepamayim. He's he's Yaakovd me twice. Et bechorti lakach. He took my firstbornness, right? Vehine ata lakach berachati. He and now he already took my being a bechor, and now he's taken my bracha. My blessing. Right. So you cannot miss the wordplay in Hebrew. He's t- he already bechorti. He took my being the bechor, and now he's taken my bracha. Everything he's taken everything. Vayomer, right? And so he says, "Have you have you no blessing for me? <laughs> have you no blessing for me?" You've given. I just think of it's so sad, but think of family dynamics, right? They, you've you love her better than me. Do you not have a blessing for me too? Isaac answers, but I've made a master over you. Like what? What? What am I going to bless you with? Like whatever I'm going to bless you with now is going to be Kmart. Like it's not Nordstrom, right? I, I I've given him the best. I've given him all his brothers for servants and sustained him with grain and wine. Like, what, what can I still do for you? And he says to his father, have you but one blessing? 
And he keeps using this word avi, right? My father, my father, my father. Do you not have a blessing for me too, my father? Do you have but one blessing, my father? You're my father too. And you're actually my father. You don't even like him. <laughs> Bless me too, Father. And what does it say here about what he does? Vayisa esav kolo This is exactly what happens with Hagar. She lifts, remember, she lifts up her voice and she weeps, howls. Right, what, what, and then it got translated, she burst into tears. Like, right? Remember, we picked that apart, right? But she, it, she, this is exactly the same thing. So, in that case, it was she lifting up her voice because she was powerless to stop the death and the suffering of her child. The child who what? Who got kicked out of his position as the heir. Ishmael was kicked out from being the Bechor, from being the firstborn, from being the heir. Who's howling now? Esav, the one who's gotten kicked out of his position of being the Bechor, of being the firstborn, of being the heir. The agony of having what we think is our place taken from us in the family, right? It's agony when we feel betrayed by family agony and 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 as family i would say right any close community where we feel like we love and are loved and then it's taken right from us Mehmet? <laughs> look at reality like, like what, what? what happens in the we have two stereotypes of men. One, siblings, brothers. One is sturdy, um, strong, hairy, large type. I mean, he's a hunter, he's a fighter, just like Ishmael as well. And then now we have uh, Esau. Um, they both get kicked out. And what do we end up with? A kind of patriarch? More soft, you know, probably um, better, um, converses better with his mother, and so on. More, um, I see both characters a bit more like the queer boy in the family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, my brother was the sturdy one. The you know he would play volleyball and all that. Yeah. He would be the handyman in the family, and I was always being regarded as the um, as the preferred son. Although I wasn't doing any of these, mm-hmm. but I was at home. I was reading books, learning languages, and that. So the the, the type of patriarch we the Jewish people end up with is is, is the latter. Absolutely. And, and I think the Torah makes a choice between two types of man for the second time. And he cheats as well. He what? So he cheats. cheats. Yeah. We don't care about that. He's more intelligent. <laughs> not, not only do we not care, but he's going to get pretty clever when he is at Lavon's house working yeah, for him. He's going to get pretty clever about making sure the spotted and speckled ones reproduce a lot more. Right? He, He's, success, he's a successful businessman because he like and manipulates the system. And interestingly, both elder brothers end up with the people of um, Hagar, the other nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. They get. They get. They they're given uh, due and all that. You know. For, you know. A big, they're gonna. You know. Have a big nation. As prom- they, they're given promises and they're being sent away. 
with those promises. Indeed. So absolutely, our, our archetype, right, is definitely the softer, yes. if you want, smarter, wilier, right? Mama's boy, right? So <laughs> Mehmet is happy with that as how our tradition chooses. More feminine. Um, I think the other reality is that... Um, is that nations were bigger. These are the patriarchs of nations, right? And the reality is we were always living amongst Esav and Ishmael, really big, strong, powerful nations. And here's this tiny little, like, you know, like Israel just got crushed in the back and forth of you know, the wars in the region. They just got crushed all the time. And it's tiny. It's, this is reality in some ways, right? Is that that's who we are as a people. Yes, yes, right? And that's how we have survived yeah. for 2,000 years in exile, right? Is, is being yeshiva bukhers. That's how the tradition got passed on, right? Being, being smart merchants, working around, okay, if we can't do this and we can't do that, we can't do this and we can't do that in medieval Europe, then we'll lend money because they can't do that according to their Bible or our Bible because they read themselves as a new Israel. They can't charge interest. Well, then that's what we're going to do. Like, it's, it's how absolutely how we survive. I don't disagree with this discussion. I'm very all, glad to hear that, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Another way that uh, the question is asked, what's the ethical message here? Is there one? It doesn't sound like <laughs> right. But um, well, we've seen this sort of story again and again, which is the we have flawed patriarchs. I mean, our patriarchs are portrayed... Uh, again and again, as having some, doing some not very good things, which is sort of an interesting uh, story of your origins, right? And because and our matriarchs as well. Frequently in various religions, it's including no, God. perfect. I mean, you know, well, that's not this. It's, not, it's just another example, right? That we that which was what I one of the things I love about our sacred tradition, right? That they're wily and crafty and like sneaky and I mean that we don't say our ancestors are perfect and hence we are the best people. We're like we're the we're the offspring of really real people. Oh, here goes George. Here goes George. So uh, he he he, uh, Pharaoh. He he hadn't the Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes he kills people, uh, collateral damage is not an issue. People argue with him about it. But it's not only the patriarchs, it's the nature of God. It's the nature of God as well. So let's. So what's that saying? Um, we were created, God created us in God's image and we return the favor? <laughs> right, like we, we've created God in, in our image. Of course God has to have some of that, right? It, Right, human beings wrote this, and human beings are talking about like and imagining God. Right, on some level, kind of has to be, doesn't it? Interesting. Two things. One is that what you were discussing about the wiliness and we'll do whatever it takes is also part of anti-Semitism. That's what we're accused of. Right. When that's what we had to do. Right. Uh, the other thing is the blessings. Notice how the tradition has become so prominent now for Shabbat to bless all the children. Not just the firstborn. All children get blessed. Yes. Okay. Look at... Amy, do, do the same people write this, <laughs> following this theme that you have sort of said earlier that keeps recurring about Joseph and about Esau and 
Jacko, the similarity in the outcomes? Do you think the same authors? There's, yeah, this is the combination, right? Mostly of two sources with a little bit of P in there, but it's J and E. So these are our early, you know, patriarchal narratives, both from the north and from the south. E's in the north, J's in the south. Confirmed. They said this is the story. There's two traditions that are kind of stuck together here because you have to have the northern version and Dixie, or else (laughs) Dixie's not going to buy the book, right? Not going to buy the history book. It has to be a combined. Um, northern southern uh, tradition but yeah so there so and those strains run throughout th- throughout uh, Genesis all right oh my gosh yes <laughs> I've lost the juice <laughs> asking us to be enduring and wise enough to accept uh, imperfection in our ancestry Say, say the first part again. Say the first part again. It's a- Are we to assume that the writers of our history uh, want us to accept imperfection and learn to be aware? I would say 100% beautifully spoken, Sarah, because isn't that hard? And, so, and actually, the, 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 the spiritual teachings from this Parsha go even further to say... Where did those two come from? They were both in Rivka at the same time. That all of us carry within us Yaakov and Esav. We both we carry. So not only do we need to accept the imperfections of our ancestors, yes, and our parents, and ourselves as well. And that and and I love how you said and learn to deal with it. Like learn to deal with the fact that. Mom liked him better. You know, we have to deal with their imperfections for sure. And we have to, if we're going to really grow into spiritually mature and responsible people, we're going to have to accept that we too have those imperfections, right? And that Esav and Yaakov are, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm reading Esav as wrong or bad, but the tradition, right, has to justify Yaakov being lifted up. So they denigrate Esav. It's Rome. It's, you know, all those people are going to be at war with us. Um, and so, so the tradition, once it, once it does that, the spiritual tr- tradition goes a step further to say, they're both in here. And it's not until we can own them both that we can actually make any choices about how we behave. Otherwise, we just come out of one or the other. But my brother was an only child. We, <laughs> we've talked here about the platonic ideal and how that affected all of, of Judaism. But if you go back even to Adam and Eve, you know, we start with imperfection, and perfection never is that big a thing. All right, wait a minute. I want to, I, I want to tag friendly amendment. Yeah. We started with perfection. We started with perfection. God set it up that the possibility of imperfection could enter the world through human free will. And God chose to let that happen. To let that happen, to set it up, to not only let it happen, but why why do it in the first place? And this is we've talked about Sachs, Jonathan Sachs saying, you know, because God wasn't interested in perfection. It's not only do we have to deal with the fact that there's imperfection, God was never interested in perfection. It lasted half a page. <laughs> half a page, right? It was all good, and then humans are created, and it's very good. And then 
da, 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 right? And then she eats from the tree, right? It lasts half a page. God is not interested in perfection. God is interested in moral goodness. And if we don't have the ability to choose, there can't be such a thing. Mm-hmm. And so imperfection is not only mm-hmm. something we have to accept, that's the world that God leaned into. Which was my point, although not okay. as well stated. <laughs> not as well stated. No, my, my point is, but then, at a later part in, in history, you get the whole platonic vision of the world, you get the Christian vision of the world with such an emphasis on perfection and heaven and, and, and whatever, and we sometimes think that's Jewish and the point that you're making no, no. is that that's not our story. Ever. That's it's never our been our story. story. This, this is, never. And, and it's not like, why did we make these people not perfect? That's assuming that they should be perfect. It's, this is our story. That's right. It's always been That's this right. way. That's why I love it. Yeah, right. And um, we don't apologize for it. This is uh, story. And we do not apologize for it, usually. Also, is it irrelevant that we're, we're not a people yet? This we're not a people. This is a family. Right. We're a family, but not a people. <laughs> Correct. But the other thing is you, that this is descriptive, not prescriptive, which comes later. Yes. So this is yeah. description yeah. of Correct. what is. Right? Correct. And yeah. then we, when we read later, we can then come back and resolve these issues with the ethics. So we, we can, but what we were talking about earlier is that the rabbis can't. At that time. The rabbis can't. They have, they have to deal with this. And they have to deal with this as being divinely sanctioned. We can say that, right? That this is descriptive, not prescriptive. But for the rabbis, it's all prescriptive on some level, right? Like it's, if God approves, uh, come on. So God is like in on the shady deal, right? So they have to deal with that. But you're right, we don't have to. We can say this is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. That's perfectly lovely. All right, so go to Peter Pizzola, um, not this page, the other page. Right? You've got the end of the chapter. So, so go to the page before the very end of the chapter. Okay. On the left-hand side. Um, wait. Before we do that, look at... I'm just going to quickly look at verses uh, 42. When the words of her son reached Rebekah, she sent for her younger son, Yaakov, and said, Your brother, Asaph, is consoling himself by planning to kill you. <laughs> now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to Haran. Who is he going to flee to? To Haran to... My brother. She's sending him to her, to her brother where he will find a wife, right, to be her heir, right? So I just wanted to show us that we're completing the puzzle here. If we read the same way we've been reading all these Mesopotamian women, she sends him to her uterine brother to find a wife to, find find a wife to be, right, brought into her clan to be her heir. So... Now, if we said Yitzchak breaks the mold, it's Avraham who goes out, right? It's then Rivka who leaves her home and goes out. Yitzchak breaks that and stays at home, right? It's Rebecca who is the Abraham in this generation. What happens now? Yaakov has to, he has to, by definition, leave home. Has to. You what, in our stories, the ones who develop, the ones who lead, the ones who become the patriarch, and in our case, for Rebecca, the strong one, they have to leave everything they know, everything that's familiar to them from childhood, their role in the clan, who's in the clan, the language, the people, 
The trees, right? I know when I go home to Georgia, it's like, oh my God, the trees look right. <laughs> right, the trees are right. right? The sky's right, like something's, it's just right. They have to leave all of that. By definition, we're Jews. Right? That's our story. You have to leave everything familiar the way it's been, your habits, right? All of the things we just take for granted and get used to about who we are. You have to leave that in order to become who you're meant to be, in order to fulfill your own unique destiny. So he has to leave. Oh my gosh. All right. What rabbit hole are we going down now, (laughs) Memo? Rebecca, Rebecca, right? She stops the murder, right? Good point. So um, she stops the murder of one son by the other. She says, I'll come get you. When his anger's done, I will come get you. Let me not lose both of you in one day. Who is she talking about? Both of who? Why would she lose Asaph? If he kills Jacob, he's still living. So who is she going to lose? Isaac. Isaac. If he's on his deathbed and then Yaakov gets killed by Esau, she loses the patriarch, she loses her husband and she loses Yaakov who would then be the patriarch? Esau. Think about Rebecca's reality. If my husband dies and Esau kills Yaakov, at some point Esau's going to figure out (laughs) that I helped with this whole business. That's going to be the patriarch that I live under. He He has the right to decide life and death for every member of the clan. So then Esau kills his mother as the story plays out. <laughs> I mean, I think it's for her, it's definitely there as, as a real, as a possibility that her life would be over. Absolutely. Right? If I lose you both, and I'm living in a world of Esau, no. right? So, so she's like, go. Get out of here. This is the really tragic thing for me is she never sees him again. He leaves, and we know what happens. He falls in love with Rachel and works seven years for Rachel, but is tricked. He's tricked in by a veil. Yeah. Huh? Goes around, comes around. Exactly. And so he is tricked into marrying Leah. Then now he has to work another seven years to marry Rachel. It's 14 years. He never sees his mother again. So it, you know, this, it cost her everything. So is that good? To have, just it's just sad. It's just, for me, it's just, it's really sad. Didn't right. think Rebecca got what she deserved. Who, who, ooh, David, that was harsh over there. Some things are important enough. You leave Duluth, Minnesota for an associate rabbi job when you don't know you're going to be made senior? Why would anybody do something like that? Did you not think through that? So some things are worth the risk, right? Uh, No matter how it works out, it's worth the risk. And in her case, she clearly, she had to know she was setting up a powder keg, right? Like she had to know once once Aesop came home, there was going to be hell to pay because Yaakov received the blessing. So she had to know this was not going to be pretty, but it was worth whatever she needed to do to make sure that Yaakov, right, was the one in line for the inheritance. Just powder keg on that, like, 
But didn't she also know that if she had done nothing, and in an, on another level, it would have been a powder keg? Because? Because Aesop would have gotten the power. And so she was like, was this like the role of the necessity of women in creating the men that we need? Oh, love that. The necessity for women to create the men they need. Very we need. We need. Okay. We're going to have to. I know. That's also a whopper. Okay, we need to sit with that for a minute, right? All right, let's go to Peter Pizzola. Go to a further irony is buried in the story. Yaakov has indeed received a blessing, but it cannot fill him. He has even been kissed by his father, but the kiss was meant for Esau. How exquisite a pain for the betraying son to witness the father's immense love for his brother and to take that love into a cold heart where it cannot warm him. Imagine, he's long, I mean, this is Peter Pitzel who does a lot of bibliodrama, so he puts himself and, and people in the room into the scene and has them become those characters. So put yourself in, in, in Yaakov's shoes. He's yearned always for his father's love and attention and affection and praise. And he finally experiences what that feels like. Only by cheating. But it's not him. Right, the incredible pain of that to finally feel that but it wasn't for him Father, Father Isaac's blessing cannot animate his son with anything but shame and fear Jacob cannot enjoy what he has gained because he has gained it through treachery the blessing has not come to him through any merit of his own or any true love in his father's heart More important, Jacob cannot receive the blessing because he is unprepared for it. He has been raised by his mother. He is the mild man who stays at the camp. What does he know of Abraham and that dangerous life of surrender he led and which from his childhood Isaac led to? The Rebecca who takes matters into her own hands has not equipped him to receive the blessing or to shoulder the responsibility it entails. His soul is hidden in his selfishness. So the one who has loved him has done so in a way that makes him unable to live in to the blessing that his father wants for him and gives to him. His shoulders haven't expanded to be able to carry it. The scene between father and son is a mock initiation. Jacob is still green. The great father as mystery has not brushed him with his power. Jacob's imagination has not yet been fired by vision or dream or encounter. His real potency still sleeps and his powers have been put to the ends not of of, uh, conception but of deception. Jacob is spiritually unfathered. His initiations lie ahead of him. He must do as his fathers before him have done. He must leave his native land and his father's house and wander. He must become a stranger. God will meet him in the wilderness. The wilderness is his place of vision and adoption. In setting out for strange lands, he leaves Esau behind. In his long exile, Jacob will sojourn in Haran. Many events will befall him, but always the memory of his treachery will remain. 
The shame and the fear of it will haunt him. And when the time comes for him to return to the promised land, he will meet his dreaded brother at the border. Asaph's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? We think we leave Asaph behind. We don't ever leave Asaph behind, right? We are going to meet Asaph at the border at some point, right? We, we have to at some point, if we're really going to come into our own, to be adopted and initiated and seen and known and fulfilled, we are going to have to confront Asaph. What we have done to Asaph, our fear, our shame, we must confront it or we cannot fulfill our own unique spiritual destiny. He goes to talk about uh, his history with his brother. I've worked with men and women for whom the brother story inevitably rings from their memories, forgotten incidents, old wounds, touching losses. But I've also come to see the relationship between the twins as the relationship of two parts of myself, two aspects of my own masculinity. In some ways, these two parts were conditioned by my experience in my family, but I have come to recognize that I am not alone, that others share this sense of an internal doubleness for which the image of twins is fitting. I was like Esau, the son who longed for a mother's love. I was like Jacob, the son who longed for his father's blessing. Like Esau, I can be trusting, innocent, and strong, Like Jacob, I can be deceptive, utterly self-gratifying, and callow. Like Jacob, I wish for vigor and wildness. Like Esau, something in the refinement of touch, the order of things in their places, eludes me. Like Jacob, I've never hunted, never killed. I am an unbloodied male. And some part of me longs for the skills and the knowledge of an Esau. Not much of an athlete, I never had a strong sense of my own physical power, yet like Esau, I hated schooling and the disciplines of the tent. I felt confined. Developmentally slow, it wasn't until the last years of high school that I got good grades. And though I stayed in school for 25 unbroken years right through my PhD, I always suspected that my own life, if I ever found it, would take me in a different direction. I think about that like for... 10 seconds. It's like, why, if I ever really lived my own real life, it would not be probably what I've been doing for 25 years. I know Jacob's shallow piety, Asaph's paganism. Like Asaph, I do not know my parents' homeland. I have married among the Canaanite women. Like Jacob, I am searching for the ancestral God. That there are both within us that both are there, both are aspects of who we are. We must right, figure out how uh, to encompass, encompass them both. Um, he closes like two parts of a single soul here, sundered and divided. Jacob and Asaph remain apart for many years. When is it that they come back into contact with each other? Jacob returns. Right? It's many, many years later, and together they will, right? Mm-hmm. Say it. Bury, bury they will bury their father. And they reconcile. That's the reconciliation. When the father is dead. When we can bury the father whose blessing we fought over. When we can let go of needing to locate it out there. To Sarah's point, to them. It's their fault. 
They did this to me. They made me like this. Had only my mother treated me, had only my father not divorced my mother, had he stayed for her, I would have had a male role model. Whatever. It's their fault. It's not until we can bury them that we are able to have a reconciliation between Esav and Yaakov. We have to figure out how to let it go. And move into wholeness. And in our language, right? Shalem is the root of shalom. Wholeness is absolutely the precursor, the necessary condition for there to be shalom. There can be no peace. No serenity, nothing without the reconciliation and bringing those two parts together. May we find the courage and the strength and the hope and the trust to do that work this and every Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org